cybersecurity sales. If you sell into cybersecurity, you're going to want to check this episode out. I'm talking to Neil Saltman. He's the author of Cybersecurity Sales, a buyer's and seller's perspective. He's one of two folks that I've seen write a book from a sales perspective and a buyer's perspective. And it's really, really cool. We're going to get into everything that you need to know about selling into CISOs or any other really technical IT position. It's going to be pretty helpful. Before we get to that, my name is Jason Bay. You're listening to Outbound Squad. Thanks for coming out and hanging out with us. This podcast is to help you as a sales rep or sales leader turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're sending a lot of cold outreach, making cold calls, sending cold emails to set appointments, or doing a lot of sales calls, bringing deals to close, that sort of stuff, you're definitely in the right place. So my man, Neil, great dude, first off, uh, very funny also. Uh, We're going to talk about CISOs and org structure. So what does a CISO care about and how is the org structure? Because it kind of depends on the type of company and how big it is in terms of who you're going to want to talk to, who you're going to want to reach out to first, that sort of stuff. We talk about how to stand out. So what are some ways that are effective attention grabbers, whether that be through email or from a prospecting standpoint. And then we dig a lot because this podcast is all about outbound. We dig into prospecting do's and don'ts. So things that you want to avoid doing that could rub this person the wrong way so that they never want to talk to you again or have anyone in their org talk to you. So if you're selling into CISOs, like I said, or any other kind of IT or tech type of position, you'll find this helpful, but especially CISOs. That's all I got for you uh, before the interview. Make sure to like, subscribe to the podcast, all that kind of good stuff so you get notified when new episodes come out. And let's get to the interview. I'd love to start with why you decided to get into sales because I was taking a look at your LinkedIn profile. And there's a a bunch of different types of experiences that you've had. I, I saw the real estate, but was your first like B2B sales job, was it selling sort of into this kind of persona? It didn't look like it was necessarily security, but IT, you know, types of folks? No, I, so as a kid, my parents were both in real estate. And so I came into a, a family where sales was the thing. And, you know, I was yeah. always competitive playing sports. I mean, I was... For baseball, I, I wanted to win the raffle ticket sales and all that stuff and win the awards. And so when I got to college, yeah. I actually got a internship. They, you got to love how internships get spun, right? And so they were like, this is a marketing internship. And I was like, cool, I'm in. So I, I go and I apply and I get the job. Turns out that one of my, one of my friends is the guy that's actually running the internships. And so I get a job selling meal plans. And, uh, you know, it sounds like a night. Did they make you cold call? Did they make you cold call? It it didn't. So that was, uh, (laughs) that one was more, um, probably the only inbound sales job I've ever had. So the parents would come in and they would talk about, you know, it was, it was during the, um, the whole, when, when you go to college and you go check out the campus and all that stuff. And then they would come over and they'd listen to our spiel about the meal plan and how great it is. And we broke records. And as a reward, they made me the uh, the manager of the school cafeteria, which is the worst promotion I've ever had and ever will have. And uh, and so I didn't love that. I stayed there for a little while. Um, then I went home for the summer and I got a job selling vacuums door to door, which was which was pretty. Uh, cool. There we go. 
And then, uh, and then out of college, um, I got my real estate license in college. And then I used that some out of college was in real estate. And then getting into IT sales, uh, when the market tanked in 08, um, I was getting married. I had to pay for my own wedding. All that stuff was happening. And I was thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to make money because it, I wasn't losing my job, but I wasn't going to make commissions. And um, a buddy of mine said, if you know sales, all you got to do is learn the technology is pretty easy. So he helped me get into to technology sales in 08 and the rest is history. But I've been in sales since I was a kid. I mean, it's always been, it's fun for me. My, my, you know, my superpower, so to speak in sales, we all have our strengths is I've always been a master networker and, and I always really enjoy that. And it's the people to people aspect that was just a natural fit for me. It's interesting because you have a, a less common story around how you got into sales because most people get into sales sort of how I did by accident. Yeah. You mentioned door-to-door vacuums. I sold house painting services door-to-door in college. <laughs> it was, uh, I didn't even know that I was going to be going door-to-door actually, which was uh, the weird part. So I'm like, first week starts, I'm like, yeah, you need to get some friends together and we're going to do this and that. And yeah, that's sort of how I got into it. Um, the door-to-door selling, how was the, how did you respond to the route to the uh, rejection? I, I mean, I've never taken it personally. I mean, I'm, I'm usually, yeah. I look at it as rejecting the situation and not the person. I don't take it personally. Yeah. I kind of always had that mindset. So more, I mean, the other thing I grew up in Florida and we were going door to door in suits in like 95 degrees summer weather. And so I was already sweating like crazy before I said a word, they were like, do you want some water? <laughs> I was like, That's I and while I get some water, let's talk about these vacuums. And so the rejection yeah. was typically more of like when they when they saw the price because they were outrageously expensive vacuums. That was the rejection. Yeah. But I got some pretty warm. Uh, I, you would expect, and this is back. We're talking back in like the early two thousands, late nineties. And so you know, you would expect that people would be a little more resistant, but they really weren't. They were. I was. We were going to new neighborhoods. They were excited to be new homeowners in these new neighborhoods, and we'd knock on the door. And it was like, oh, somebody's at my door. And so we'd, we'd go show up. They'd see a, a sweaty kid that needed water, and they'd, they'd hand me a water. And then we'd talk a little bit. Yeah. And I didn't get rejected from the, like, it's not like today where everybody picks up the phone and is like, don't call me again. Uh, it was more yeah. of like, uh, okay, I'll, I'll give you a minute. I'll listen. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But it, it wasn't the same level of rejection that you would expect door to door. Were there any lessons that you took from that job that you – have taken with you through your rest of your career? Yeah, a couple. Um, one specifically was the way that we did demos was uh, was fear factor, which I, I don't love, but it did make sense the way we did it, is we would bring a carpet with us, like a little handheld carpet, and we would pour dirt in it. And then we would show them with the vacuum and say, hey, look how much dirt we just picked up. And then you'd pour it over so that they could see that no dirt was coming out of the carpet, the vacuum got everything. And so one thing yeah. that I learned is the value of the demonstration is that it's, you know, it, what you say when you can show it is twice as powerful. And so that was one. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was I had the worst boss in history and uh, he was a failed NBA player that loved to remind us how good he was. And, uh, and so I think he was, um, he was borderline, like uh, he was a drill sergeant. I mean, it was like, he just wasn't nice. So you've got this stressful job and then you've got a guy beating you down as soon as you get back. And one, I learned who I didn't want to work for very early. And two is uh, I learned the value of the demonstration, being able to show exactly what you just said. 
Yeah. The show don't tell piece is really interesting, you know, especially with technology or any kind of stuff. It's, it's what I love about, you know, the technology that we have access to as sales teams now. It's so much different than even 10 years ago. You know, yeah. the ability to show someone something in a really compelling way is interesting. So if we fast forward, what was your first job selling into security and, and what was that like? Yeah, so I got a job as an inside sales rep in a network monitoring company. And it was uh, one of the things that was really unique about it. Well, two things. One is it was run by engineers, not salespeople. We couldn't even keep a VP of sales because our engineers that were the CEO and the CTO, the co-founders, were very hands-on. It was very metrics-driven. And so for a first job, I actually think it was good because it was very much how many calls have you made, how many people have you talked to, how many demos have you set up? And they didn't care about the details. Like we love to tell a story about how great the call was. And they were like, all right, well, what about the other nine? Because you're required to have 10 a day. And so it was very metrics driven. And so I learned very early the value of hard work, right? That was, that was, that was one yeah. thing about it. Um, the other thing is that it was, there was a, a clear path to get promoted. They had uh, a very clear route of becoming an account manager and you had to follow these, you had to go through these certain trainings they had in place. You had to pass these certain tests like presentation skills, and then you could become an outside sales rep. And I was super ambitious, super hungry. I won inside sales rep within like four or five months of being there. And then I was like, why haven't I been promoted yet? And they're like, well, you haven't finished the track yet. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. And so I, I worked really hard and I got promoted, but I, you know, my thought was, well, I've already done this for you. Why haven't you promoted me? And, you know, it's the young, like you owe me type of mentality that I learned very quickly yeah. won't get you very far. Yeah. What was it like learning or what was the learning curve? Like, I guess, in selling to people in security, was there one? What did you have to do to learn what was important to these people when you're communicating with them? So I am definitely an avid reader. I, I jokingly say yeah. I, I read 51 books in 2020, which means I was lazy for one week. And so <laughs> when I got into network monitoring, when I got the job, the first thing I did was go out and buy a, a network for dummies book. And so I read the whole thing oh, cover to cover. Funny. And I was like, all right, yeah. teach about networks. And so I learned a lot before I joined. I was very fortunate. It was it was an office job where you shared an office with an office mate. And my office mate was very technical and very good. And so he taught me a ton. The learning curve was actually relatively quick because when your whole job is getting meetings, you only need to know enough to hook them in to want to take a meeting. You don't have to know mm -hmm. the nuts and bolts. I tried to learn the nuts and bolts. And then I realized I probably knew more than I needed to know. And then when I became an account yeah. manager, I was like, man, I don't know nearly enough. But you know, the learning curve was easy because my first job was just go get meetings. And I, I would start with, you know, a hook to get attention as opposed to being like everybody else. I can't stand when somebody calls and says, hi, I'm Neil and I work for blah, blah, blah. How's your day? I am like, I don't want to talk yeah. to you. So I, I would start with things like, you know, are you the person that gets yelled at when there's a slowdown in the network? Because that's the network world is known as if there's a slowdown they get yelled at. They're guilty yeah. until proven innocent. So I, I found quick ways to get attention, quick ways to get people to take meetings. Yeah, it may not have been the most qualified meetings, but I was getting meetings early. Help me more about that because we had an email exchange and you'd thrown us something, a couple of lines, and I was like, dude, that's that's brilliant. You know, because it's you're describing the the problem. It's a. Uh, have you read um, Influence by Robert Cialdini? You seen that uh, book? I don't know if I have actually. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Uh, so there's some really interesting things. There's like these six 
uh, principles that he talks about, and it's really more of a marketing book than a sales book. But one of those principles for uh, persuasion was uh, this theory around likeness. And it wasn't being likable, it's appearing more like a peer, like someone that's in their world. And yeah. when you talk about the problem, not only in their language, but you're able to crack a joke about yeah. it like you did, it's just instant. It had to like instantly disarm the person, I would imagine. Well, and that, that's the idea, right? I, I read all these books on sales. I read all these books on, you know, human, human behavior. And, and I think the one thing I've, I've always noticed, one is you have to be unique. If, if I get calls from charities every day of the week and I get multiple because I'm the idiot that donated to hundreds instead of just one and giving them all my money, right? And so now they all call and they're like, oh, Neil, you donated last year. You're going to donate again. But it starts with, is this the head of household? Thank you for your donation last year. And I'm like, oh, God. So, and that's yeah. how most people get sales calls is you call and you're like, my name is Neil and I'm with XYZ company. You know, how is your day? I'd like to talk to you about. So I'm very big on the shock factor up front is say something that's going to get attention because even if they're angry, they're either going to laugh or they're going to at least be a little disarmed because it's not the same thing they just heard five minutes ago. So if you can get something relevant, ask your customers, right? Why did you buy? And then you start out the phone call with, I just talked to another hospital, just did something that I think be relevant to you. Right. Anything that, that's disarming when you get them on the phone and you're not the same as everybody else is going to take you light years ahead of your competition. Do you have any other examples of stuff that uh, of lines that you would use in your uh, first job or just just in general? I think it's really good for people to hear the it's. And I don't mean it, this in a knock. It's it's simple. And yeah. I think the most creative things are the simple things. That's the hard part is making it really simple. You know, that's what I love about it. Is there any other types of examples that you have or anything else that yeah. you could share? One, one that's not technology specific. I'll, I'll admit it's bordered on stocker It's not, not meant to be, but it'll, it'll make people chuckle is I'll say, look, I'm local just like you. I don't want to be the guy that you avoid in the frozen food of the, of the supermarket. So I'm going to be real quick here and tell you why I'm calling. And I'll, things yeah. like that, right? It's like things that are just, you know, look, I'm not trying to be the guy that you're avoiding. I just want to tell you something real quick and see if it's relevant. And those are the types of things yeah. that I typically use. Yeah. So did that part, because you've worked with a lot of reps and things like that over your career. How did you, if at all, train people to put their personality into how they sell and how they prospect. How did, how did you get them to, to people to open up like that? I find that a lot of reps are uncomfortable with that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a challenge, but one of the things I was taught early and I always share with everybody is that however you, however you speak is how you should write your emails and it's how you should talk to your customers because you can tell when somebody's using a phone voice, I mean, I even do it, right? Somebody calls and maybe it's a friend from college and I'm like, Oh, life is amazing as opposed to being real. And so I always tell people, Use your personality, be real. When you write an email, read it and think, would I actually say this? If I was sitting next to somebody in a plane, in a bar, at a restaurant, would I say that? And then think, because that's how they're going to read it. And if it reads like a robot, they're going to delete on, you know, uh, upon reading, right? They're not even going to get to the reading point. So I always point out, and the other thing that I was taught early, which I find really interesting, is that when you read an email that you've written, read it out loud. And it sounds like somebody else sent it to you. Yep. And now you're reading it and you're taking it in and you're saying, does this sound like something I would want to read? Yeah, I love that. The other thing I push people to do too, because brevity is so important, yep. is if you have to take a, a breath in the middle of a sentence, it's, pr it's probably too long. 
you know, let's, yeah. let's, let's chop yeah. it up down a little bit. Um, I wanted to get into, this is really great. I want to get into some more stuff like this, just with your book, uh, cybersecurity sales, which I definitely recommend people check out. I've already recommended it, Neil, to all of the, the folks I know that, that sell into these folks. Um, tell us what was the inspiration to write a book like this? Where did that come from? Yeah. So I mentioned, I, I read way too much. Um, there's no books on cybersecurity sales. I was shocked, right? It's, there's a million books on sales and some are good, some aren't, but they're always rinse and repeat with a few different you know things that you can learn from them. And cybersecurity sales is very niche. And so I, I've learned to love niche books, whether it be you know how to be a better presenter, whether it be learning the words that actually stick in people's minds. And so I thought, I can't believe no one's written a book on cybersecurity sales. So then I thought, well, I'd love to write this. I think it'd be interesting. But then again, it's another sales book. So then I thought, well, what, what would make it different? What would actually make it unique that people want to read it? So I reached out to a friend of mine who used to be the security leader for some of the largest Fortune 50 financials in the world. And I said, hey, I want to write this book, but I think it'd be really interesting to get a buyer's perspective so that we, you know, as he put it, we're writing this book from two perspectives, from like the, the hero and the sidekick. So you're watching the same movie but you're yeah. watching it in two completely different ways and getting different stories and understanding it and getting a more well-rounding understanding of, of what it actually means to sell into the security space. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because I've only seen one other book written like this, yeah. but it's, it's really cool to have the buyer's take in there. And I think it's important to have both. You know, Obviously, we usually see the seller's take. You know, from it, and it's usually very broad. And it's not as sort of nuanced and specialized as this. But I want to unpack just a couple of things in the book. I think that are interesting, you know, sort of talking points. If we first, let's just talk. What does a CISO care about? Like, let's just talk even broader than that. Org structure, because I know it can be different depending on the type of company. And again, I'm asking this for the rep that's maybe six, 12 months on the job, just learning about this stuff. Let's start with something really basic. What what does a CISO do that's different from a, a CTO or a CIO? Like, where do they kind of fit in the departments? Yeah, so and that's, and that's a good point. I mean, the first thing is that you've got to look at the organization, right? How big is the organization? Um, you know, how mature, right? Is it because a lot of companies, even large companies don't have a CISO head of security. They just put it in the CIO's function. And so depending when you look at the reporting structure or the org chart itself, depending on who they report to can tell you a lot. If they're reporting to legal, then they're probably setting a compliance policies. And they're probably saying, here's the risk if you want to do this thing. They're they're not likely the operations folks. They're They're more likely saying, you know, here are the, if, if you want to move to the cloud, here's the risk that's in front of you. Here's the guidelines. Here's what we say you need to do to be able to move these applications to cloud. Whereas if you have a large company with a lot of people in security, they're not only that compliance piece, they're also the operation function, which is they're going to be involved in those discussions. We want to move to the cloud. Okay. We're going to put these controls in place and we're going to be involved in the development or, you know, different things. So you look at the org structure and you say, all right, where do they report to? What is their likely responsibility? You look at the the length of time that a security leader has been there, right? If a security leader is brand new to a company, they want to put their stamp on that thing. I mean, when a new president comes in, they don't say, you know, that last president was really good. I'm just going to keep doing what he was doing. Right. It's just not something people do. They, they come in and they say, well, I'm the new president. I got to put my stamp in here. Well, that's what security leaders do is they come in and say, well, 
I'm going to build my program. I've got these ideas. Whereas somebody who's been there for 10 years, we love innovation. Like, you know, technology, everything's about innovation. But when you show up to somebody who's been there 10 years and you say, oh my God, we're going to change the way you're doing things. You're basically telling him he's failed. Like, you know, you're like, oh, you've been doing this for 10 years, but it's not good enough. So you have to start talking about integration instead of innovation. And you've got this great program. Let's make it 10% or 5% better. And so knowing how long they've been there, knowing who they report to, knowing that most CISOs don't report to the CEO, no matter what anybody's telling you, it's they're not. I mean, there's a, there are a lot that are. But if you were to take a percentage, I'd say it's a low percentage is actually reporting directly to the CEO, which means they're the executive reporting to another executive which is already a challenge in itself because it's, they've got a whole layer. They're not going to get the massive amount of the budget that IT is going to get. If there's an IT transformation, it's a huge percentage of the company budget. If there's a security project, they're lucky if they're getting, you know, low percentages of the overall budget at all to even do major things. So it's, it's not your traditional, you know, I wouldn't say traditional sale, but it's, it's, it's a very finite sale. You're focused on a very specific department inside a larger company. So let's say that we're trying to break into an account, a net new account. Um, how, in your research, how would you go about finding the answers to some of these questions before I might reach out to someone? Or is that maybe a part of the information gathering that you do to figure out what the org structure is? What are some of the things that you might be looking for? Well, so I'm, I'm big on I'm spreadsheets. I guess I'm old school that way where I like to build out these spreadsheets yeah. that I can keep uh, keep track. So every time I add a note, when I call somebody, it's not brand new. And I mean, you could use a, a CRM as well. But my point is that I have some information. So each time I call, I learn a little bit more. Um, and I, I do the research I do. Uh, one thing is I'll look for places they presented and what topics they presented on. So I know what's interesting. A quick Google search of, you know, what does Jason care about? Right. It's you know, Jason, Jason Bay, and all of a sudden you find he's presented at these conferences on these topics with these things or for these technologies. That's one thing I'll do. Um, I look at LinkedIn because it's a brag book. It's our resume. And I'll say, what do they care about? Uh, I'll do those types of things. I'll look at the industry and I'll say, all right, based on the industry, what is my company able to do? And then if I have a referenceable account, if I'm allowed to, I'll mention the referenceable account. So in a new account, I'll say, you know, you work for XYZ retail, ABC retail is a big customer of ours. They'll tell you all about it. A couple things they're doing, I think are worth sharing with you. ABC, can we chat? Because now CISOs are by name. I, I run CISO roundtables. Like I told you that before, I run a couple per month and, mm. and I've ingrained myself in the community. And that's sort of how I educate myself. But one thing I've learned about them is they almost always call a friend. I, I jokingly said in the book that if yeah. you want to sell cybersecurity, the best way to do it is to play the telephone game. And tell one friend who's going to yeah. tell another and hope the message gets there clearly because that's what they do is they talk to each other and they say, Hey, I have this problem. How are you handling it? Whether it's going to different roundtables or calling directly. And so I, I think if you have that up front, you can disarm people and say, Hey, call CISO XYZ at retail ABC doing some cool things. Let's, you know, let's talk. Right. And immediately it's, it's not just another email of, you know, do you care about ABC? Yeah. Yeah. Do because I always get this kind of pushback. Do the CISOs at your current clients do they tend to care if you're sending prospecting emails out like this and saying, "Hey, we work with this other company, and maybe it's a competitor even of theirs." Is there anything that you have to be careful about? 
Yeah, you, you have to ask. You can't just send it. I mean, they're they're very careful. Security is a space where you don't mention it without asking first. I mean, you don't just throw it out there. But you can be generic and say a, a Fortune 10 financial or whatever it is. You can do those yeah. things. But if you – a lot of times we'll ask for case studies or we'll ask for video testimonials. And those are the ones I'm more referencing that you can leverage. If you're not there, if you're an early startup or even a company that just doesn't have enough of them, then you, know, you, you can either say – Here's the value we bring to your industry. You can find ways to do it. But what you do want to say is here's why this is relevant to you to show that you put some thought into it. Got it. Can you speak a little bit more on how the org structure might work within security in terms of like, what does the, like, how does the buying process tend to work? Because I think that's kind of important for people to understand. A lot of the advice I give around prospecting is, you know, don't prospect to make a sale, a prospect to start a conversation. And people are talking so much about the solution when they're prospecting. And it's like, let's just step back here. What does the typical buying process kind of look like? I know you talk about it quite uh, quite a bit in the book. Yeah, I mean, it, it varies by organization and size. So if, if let's say you're selling to, I don't know, a Fortune 100 with a massive security team, the CISO probably doesn't get involved. They, he's probably aligned budget to each different uh, piece underneath, whether it security operations has a budget, budget, identity access management has a budget, GRC has a budget, government, government, um, governance, risk and compliance, they each have their own budget. And so they'll have projects that align with the company strategy. And you, depending on the dollar amount, you may not have to go as high as the CISO. So if you're in a large organization, it one, it depends on your dollar amount. And two, it depends on the priority, but chances are, you're not going to have to talk to the security leader. Now, it's a big strategic project. I don't know if you're replacing a SIM, which is one that's famous for being more expensive, then the CISO is likely going to get involved because it's a big strategic thing. If you're talking to a smaller company, um, more often than not, they're always going to be involved, right? It's You've got a small yeah. team and they're responsible. And, and you know, as one CISO put it to me, right, is I have visibility into the business direction. They have visibility into their day-to-day. And so if this is a strategic project, the CISO is likely involved, whereas if it's just a I can make your life easier than they are. And so it depends on what you're selling, depends on which company you're selling to, but there's there's a lot of variables that play into that. But there's oftentimes it's, you know, they'll usually have sign-off authority up to a certain dollar amount. And then after that, you either get to a committee or a specific decision maker. But a lot of times, I mean, I've even done deals with, um, you know, Fortune 50 where they could spend up to a certain dollar just using fake numbers. Let's say it was 500,000. And so if you sell it for under 500,000, they can make that decision. But if you sell for 501, it's going out for RFP, it's going to be a long process. And so knowing yeah. those things is helpful too. Interesting. So if we're, if we're doing some reconnaissance, let's say, and kind of talking to some folks, maybe on the lower end to just kind of get some intel and figure out how things work. One thing I've heard and been told, and I would love your take on it, is that the way that salespeople oftentimes go about that feels a lot like social engineering. Yeah. And so when, so are, are there certain questions that are not okay to ask about a tech stack or any of that kind of stuff that you would tend to avoid or, you know, during a, a prospecting, you know, kind of context before you've really established contact with people? I mean, I was told by one of my, one of my sales engineers and we, we did really well together that I'm very good at making the awkward comfortable. So I don't think there's a whole lot of questions that I don't ask. Um, I, I think the best way to go about it is just think about it from their shoes is what would they want to share? I mean, I, I got an email back yesterday. It just made me chuckle. And he said, I can't look at a demo until we have an NDA in place, which 
nobody says that. It's just not real, right? It's, you don't need an NDA to look yeah. at my product. I need an NDA to talk to you. And I didn't even ask for a demo. I just asked for a conversation. And, uh, and that's the response I got back. So I think you'll get resistance in what they're willing to share. I wouldn't be afraid to ask questions, but I would think about it from their perspective. What are they going to know? I mean, if you ask somebody if they have the ability to make a purchase, there's a million ways to think about that question. Almost everyone's going to say yes. I don't sign it. I don't make the final decision, but I'm going to be using the product. So of course I can make a purchase, right? But then when you get into the nuts and bolts yeah. of what a purchase looks like, no, they can't make the purchase. But it's it's how you ask the question tactfully and think about it from their perspective. But I would agree. The social engineering thing does make me chuckle. It's I, I Anthony actually said to me, not in the book, but it's just in general, don't look at people like a transaction because they're going to know. And that's when you look at yeah. people and you think, they're, can they, are they going to buy something from me? Immediately, you've lost the personal touch of trying to understand what this actually means to them. Yeah. Is there any other things in your experience with all the CISOs that you interact with? Is there anything else that when they're getting outreach, you know, cold emails, cold calls, what kind of stuff drives these people crazy? So it was one story. So I did a ton of research before I, uh, before I wrote the book, I interviewed a ton of CISOs and one story kept coming up and I thought it was really funny. Um, I'm a big believer in mail. Like I think physical mail, anything that you can do that differentiates you, that's just not the same as everybody else I think is a good idea. So physical mail, I think is a good idea, but the, the moral of the story was don't bribe me. But the actual story was this very large company that everybody's heard of sent everybody these remote control cars without the action, or they sent the remote and said, if you meet with us, we'll send you the car. And every one of those CISOs said, I didn't take that meeting, but I couldn't help but laugh. They were like, first of all, they think that I'm willing to take a bribe for 50 bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever it is to meet with them. And it's, it's bribery. That's what they're saying. And then secondly, they're like, you know, if I'm interested, I'm going to go do the research and I know who they are anyway. But I think if you're going to send something physical mail or anything else, you've got to keep in mind, how can I get their attention without looking like I'm trying to pay them for it, especially in security where everything is about morals and, and I don't know morals is the right word, but it, it's about doing the right thing and trying to make sure you're protecting the company and anything that's, that's thought of as being improprietary is, is a really bad idea. And if you're bribing somebody for a meeting, they're immediately going to put you on a blacklist. So what they were getting at was like, it, I, another one shared that somebody sent him a hat from his college. That's not bribing him for a meeting. That's, that's thoughtful. Hey, I know you went to the school. This is probably meaningful. And he said he actually didn't take the meeting. And then they sent him a coffee mug from his college. And then he kind of laughed. He said, All right, I get it. And so he took a meeting with the person and said, okay, he's, he's put some thought into it. He's not just sending everybody the same thing. And I'm not saying you have to get that specific, but the key is if you're bribing them for a meeting, they're not going to take it. If you're doing something thoughtful, you're a lot likely, a lot more likely to get a good response. Yeah, a client of mine actually a couple of years ago was reaching out to see uh, CIOs with some sort of fancy t- telephone. I don't know what it was, but it was like a really high end kind of thing. I was like, oh god, dude. Yeah, there's so many people that are not uh, executives. Um, it's like they'll take the meeting just to get the thing. Yep. And then an executive, someone that makes a lot more money, is just like, I don't need this. I can afford to buy it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's so, it's so silly to get a meeting under that premise. And it puts you immediately on the defensive, you know, as a salesperson, yep. which I don't want. So direct mail, what are, what are some of the stuff that you've seen work with uh, 
direct mail? Because this is a channel that I have not explored much at all. I'm kind of an email and a phone and a social, you know, LinkedIn, you know, kind yeah. of guy. But what what kind of stuff have you seen work with direct mail? I mean, again, it, you know, it comes down to clever tactics. It's like, like I mentioned with the the college thing. For me, I did actually a long time ago. I bought RFID wallets, which are basically wallets that protect your credit card, so nobody can scan it. Not even that that's something that's really a fear, but cybersecurity guys are paranoid, right? There, there's this whole like everybody's yeah. coming to get me, and so I sent the RFID wallet, which was maybe five ten bucks, and I had a company logo on it, so maybe another five ten bucks on there. And I wrote, "Now that we've protected your money, let's talk about protecting your data." Can we have a discussion? <laughs> That's great. That was, you know, it was honestly, it was probably, I think in the mail, I sent a handwritten like two sentence thing. And then I would follow yeah. up with phone calls and I would, you know, emails and all that stuff till I finally got a hold of them. A, a good friend of mine actually would send chocolates or flowers to the admin and he would send those to the admin and then he would call the admin or email the admin and say, can I, can I get on the calendar? And, um, it's tough to find admin information, but those are creative ways where you're not really bribing somebody. You're just like, okay, this is, this is yeah. clever. This is unique. This is easy. And no one's going to look at it and say, you know, why is he buying my time or why, you know, why would I talk to this person? Yeah. I love that. So if we spend just a little bit more time on the prospecting side of things, um, what are some things that uh, you suggest based on what CISOs have shared that has worked? you know, meetings that they have taken, will people respond to a cold email? You know, will they take a cold call and maybe not the CISO necessarily, but maybe someone that works under the CISO? What if folks shared that, hey, this 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 works? Like I've so, taken meetings doing this before. Yeah. So a couple things. One, um, you mentioned social media, right? So more than just clicking the like button of actually interacting. So there was a CISO that put that something, you know, there's always these popular phrases this has died, that has died, this has died, this is irrelevant. And so they'll start these conversations. And if you put a meaningful response, uh, and then you can email and say, hey, I thought that was really interesting what you posted about. I've seen that work when you're actually engaging mm -hmm. and saying what you said is relevant and not in like a, a butt kissing kind of way of like, you're so smart. Thanks for posting that. You know, more of like, yeah. you know, here's why this is thought provoking to me. I think that's worked. Um, I did actually, <laughs> a CISO I'm friends with it said to me, if I don't know you, I'm deleting your email. You could tell me that I just want a million dollars. I'm never going to know. So there is a lot of that out there where they won't respond. Yeah. But what they will respond to is if you can some way get referred into them, whether it be from their admin, whether it be from somebody who works in the company, whether it be from a friend. It could be I, I had a, a good friend of mine. One of my best friends is neighbors with a senior security leader. I saw them connected on LinkedIn and I chuckled and I called my buddy and said, how do you know this guy? He's like, oh, he lives 10 houses away. And I was like, oh, I was like, I, you know, I hate to ask I said, if you're that friendly with him, do you mind mentioning my name and seeing if he'll talk to me? And, you know, this is a good enough friend I could ask that. This wasn't just like somebody I've had coffee yeah. with, this guy I grew up with. But if you can find a way to get referred in, whether it be somebody who's in security or not, or even a salesperson, somebody that knows them, if they say, hey, you should meet with this person, it's going to go a long way. So if you can find a referral way in, um, if you can engage with them in something they're doing, the one thing that used to be huge for me and where I sort of built my career was being there. So whether it was a conference and I knew they were speaking at it, going into their actual presentation and then sending an email later and saying, Hey, here are three points you made that I really think would be interesting to discuss. And we're kind of getting back to that. But if you can be there in person, even if it's a virtual event, see what these people are doing and have the discussions. I think that's a huge way to get in that we're getting back to. We've kind of moved away from the last couple of years. 
Yeah. As a person that creates a lot of content myself, anyone that pays attention to it and points it out doesn't have to do very much effort, uh, put very much effort in to get my attention, you know? Um, So the getting referred, do you see, if we talk about kind of approach, so if we're approaching an account cold and let's say maybe we don't have a lot of those introductions that we could get, where do you suggest getting started? You know, in terms of a seniority standpoint, am I going to reach out to people that are more ICs and managers and kind of do some ground swelling and get some intel and see if that I can work my way up? Like what, what kind of things do you suggest? Honestly, I'd say wherever you're comfortable. I think, and, and the reason I say that is like, I'm more comfortable in front of CISOs because of my roundtables. And if I talk to an engineer yeah. and they start into the weeds, I'm a lost child. I, you know, I look yeah. like my, my five-year-old in front of my keyboard trying to type, right? It's all of a sudden it's like, well, what, what am I doing here? What does this mean? So for me, yeah. I'm more comfortable with CISOs. So I'll reach out to CISOs or directors or VPs and I can talk like a, like an executive. There's a lot of people that are really good with the, the individual contributors, the lower level engineers. I think the key is being comfortable, right? We, we talked about when a charity calls and they immediately are like, you know, hi, thank you for donating last year. And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to talk to him. Well, if they started out with like, isn't it a beautiful day outside? Or, you know, I, I know the park is down the street if you have taken the kids, right? They've at least disarmed me. And yeah. so whoever you're comfortable having the discussion with, I think whatever you're comfortable doing is probably the best place to start because then it's not going to be awkward for you or for them. Yeah, gotcha. So in terms of the what to say, let's say in an email, phone call, et cetera, do you have any suggestions for how to approach kind of that messaging and speaking to things that this person you know might care about? you know, versus pitching your product, you know, that kind of stuff. Like what, uh, what are, what are some guidelines that you would suggest around the what to say part? So the first thing I would say is, I don't know if you've heard the term above the fold, but above the fold. Yeah. So anything that you can see from your phone, that's, you know, the first line or two is what they're going to read. Every line has to be meaningful enough that they want to read the next line. I would start with something relevant to them. I wouldn't even start with the, hi, how are you? I would just start with the, you know, pharmaceuticals or shape facing challenge X and challenge why I'm assuming that you're, you know, that you're facing similar things. And here's how we solve for that. You may not get a response, but if they're facing that challenge, they're at least going to read line two. And if you, I mean, that's, that's assuming you have a niche product and not a broad portfolio. And if you've got a broad portfolio, then maybe you start with, you know, we've solved challenges ranging from X to Z. And, and, but I think the key is you've got to have something that's relevant to them. It, I, I was told by a CISO, don't throw axes over the fence and hope they stick, meaning that don't keep guessing. But the reality is that if you don't hit on a point that's important to them right away, it's going to be difficult to get them to respond anyway. So you kind of have to take a shot and assume you know something about them. It don't make it about, you know, it's, it's never going to be, if it's me, 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 you're going to lose them. And I think that's what I see. I get sales emails all day, as I'm sure you do too. And they typically start with my company does this, my company does that. Yeah. We help with this. And if you can start with, you are a pharmaceutical that probably faces challenges like pharmaceutical X, that's a lot more relevant than I am a company that does this. Yeah. The psychology behind that seems so simple, yet when you look at what people do, it's, it's uh, I don't know, why do you think that reps resort to talking about themselves so much? Because I mean, this advice is not, it's, it's old advice, right? To talk about other people more than ourselves. Why do you think that reps do that? 
I think one, it's comfortable. I think we, first of all, human nature is to look and see what other people are doing and everybody else around you is show me your email. Oh, here's my email telling you all the cool things about our product. Go send this to your, Mm -hmm. and so it's, there's a story a buddy of mine told me that I thought was hysterical. And he said, you know, so there's this, you know, this woman and she, she's going, she's doing, making the Thanksgiving day Turkey and she cuts off the arms and just cooks the breast, puts it in the oven, takes it out, feeds the family. And her daughter says, why do you do that? Why, why do you cut that off? She said, I don't know. My mom did that. And she said, okay. She said, well, why don't we call grandma and ask her? Okay. So they call grandma and she said, grandma, she said, you used to do this all the time. Why did you do that? And she said, I don't know. My mom used to do that. And she said, well, great grandma, let, let's call her. So they call great grandma and they're like, grandma, you know, great grandma, why, why do you cut the legs off and the arms off? I just cooked the breast. She's like, we had a really, really small oven. Yeah. And the problem is we just follow it blindly and assume that it must be right without asking the question is, is this really right for me? And I think that's what happens when we go down the me, me, me path. It's like, well, everybody else is doing it and somebody just got a demo. So it must be right. Yeah. It's, it's not challenging assumptions, just basic assumptions, you know? Um, What are your thoughts on, because I hear conflicting advice on this too, especially with CISOs. What is your take on sharing insights or content or any of that kind of stuff with these people, especially through emails? Well, and I, I saw one of your posts I like about the videos. Um, and I think, I think you, you put it perfectly is that don't send it till they've earned it because they don't even want it. They don't want it until yeah. they've asked for it, right? It's, we live in a world of automation and ease of use. Everything that's being built every day is how can I be lazier? And so if you're making them do work, they're not going to want to do it. And so I, I think the key is when they ask for it, you send it, but you don't send it ahead of time and assume that they want to see it because they don't care. They don't care until they have a reason to care. And I get them. I get videos, I don't know, five, six, seven times a day. And then it's like just a video. And I'm like, I'm not going to watch. I don't know who you are, or what you are, or why you're sending it. And then I get an email like a day or two later that's like, hey, hope you caught my video. What do you think? And I just laugh because I'm like, I don't think anything. I didn't read it. I didn't read this one. And I think that's what we do with content is we just send it out. It's like, here's my white paper. And, and in security, you're trained not to open anything for anyone you don't trust. So even there, it's, it's yep. just, I think it's crazy to send it before there's a reason to send it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. When you think about, I always talk about user experience and I talk about put yourself in the seat of the person receiving your outreach and think of how much work that creates. Even processing an email is a lot of work. I have to make so many decisions. I got to decide whether or not I'm going to open it. And then when I see it, I got to decide whether or not I'm going to read it. And then I got to decide what to do with it. If I decide to respond, that's a decision. I got to write the email. And then I have to send it. There's so many decisions. And then hopefully I don't get distracted by something else while I'm doing that. You know, and you think about all the extra work that you create for a prospect by sending over a piece of content and expecting them to pour through a 30 page white paper is it's an insanely huge ask of a stranger. It, it is. And, and again, it goes back to, I mean, if you look at all the things that are being built, it's based on how little work can I do? I mean, I can get groceries delivered to my house now. I don't have to walk the aisles anymore. I mean, everything is about how yeah. easy can I make it for you. Yep. Yep. Um, one last thing I want to get into before we uh, take off here in terms of, you know, selling to these folks, yeah, and the overall, you know, kind of uh, just approach. 
are there any kind of do's and don'ts that you see a lot of people, especially on the don't side, that they're doing once they've gotten that meeting and the sales interaction has started, they've started to do some discovery or it's demo time or whatever it might be. Are there any big red flags that you see a lot of people doing? I think there's a lot of people that don't know the company they're selling to. And I think you need to understand who you're talking to do some research Understand what the business does, because especially with cybersecurity, it's about enabling the business, right? It's, it's identifying risk, quantifying risk and making sure that you know, they're secure, but the business is still enabled. And so I think if you don't understand that business, I think especially with security leaders, you're going to get a lot of frustration. You're going to get a lot of people that you're going to start talking to them and saying, do you have this problem? Do you have that problem? And their first thought is going to be, why are you trying to sell me a driveway when I live in an apartment? Right. And, and I think yeah. if, you, if you don't understand the business, it's very difficult to understand the challenges of the business. And I think a lot of people go in and assume everybody has the same problem. And I think that's something we need to move away from. Yeah. It's this like kind of cookie cutter approach that you see a lot, you know, yep. ac- across a lot of different folks. Um, well, dude, this has been great. I, I highly recommend you guys check out Cybersecurity Sales, a buyer's and seller's perspective. It's a great book. I got some rapid fire questions for you. All right, well, uh, I second checking out, out the book. Ready? I second <laughs> checking out the book. I think you should as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, great book. Um, so this first question is this is related to you know prospecting. If you had to choose, not that we have to, but if you had to choose between phone, email, and social to interact with prospects to get that first meeting, what do you pick and why? That's a good question. I would probably go email, but I'd say social is a very close second. I think phone, my cousin is a comedian and he put it best. He said, you text me before you call me to make sure I'm taking calls. And uh, I think most people look at the phone that way. I'm not against cold call. I think you should do it, but I think it's the most intrusive. So I would put it last of the three. I think social, I really like, but I think you limit yourself because there's a lot of people, especially in cybersecurity, that won't do social. So I, I think if you can engage, I think it's an amazing way to do it but I think you limit your audience because some people don't do it. So I'd put email at the top only because it's the least intrusive of the three, meaning you're going to get the best response rate if you do it right. And because the fact that you have the heart, the, the widest reach because social, some people just won't touch LinkedIn or whatever else, whatever social you're using. What is something you believe about sales that most would disagree with? I think relationships are huge. And I think we like to hear relationships are dead and I, I think that, yes, the most important thing is that you're solving a problem, but without the relationship, I think you're going to really struggle to get in the door. I think that's becoming more important every day. And I think relationship sale is much more important than it's ever been, not less important. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself as a rookie sales professional? Uh, probably a lot of advice. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say that you know when I was a rookie sales rep, the, the name of the game was was quantity, not quality. And I think that was one thing. I would work long, hard hours and work my tail off and have a tenth of the results that I have today. And I think quality, if you work two to three really hard hours, it's much more impactful than working 10 hours without thought behind it. So I think the key is that quality matters more than quantity. Not that quantity doesn't matter, but quality needs to come first. Love it. Well, if you're listening, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff, wherever you listen to it. Leave us a rating. And Neil, before you take off, 
we already told people about the book, but if someone wants to connect with you or check out your company or any of the other resources that you have, where's the best place to do that? Yeah, I'm big on LinkedIn. Come check me out on LinkedIn, send me a note, and I, I will respond as long as it's uh, got some reason why you're reaching out behind it. <laughs>